a.m. East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello, this is Arts Editor Skylar Ashley filling in for Burl Schwartz. On today's show, we're going to talk with Senior City Pulse staff writer Lawrence Cosentino. Chances are you're familiar with Larry's brilliant writing, and since our next issue is going to celebrate our 20th anniversary, I figured it would be great to chat with Larry about the early days of City Pulse. I mean, he's been here since the very beginning. We talked about how he developed as a writer and a journalist, and how the paper grew into what it is today. We are here with City Pulse senior writer Lawrence Cosentino, who has been with the paper from the very beginning. And when I thought of doing a bit for the 20th anniversary, I figured, aside from Burl himself, um, you would really be the best person to talk about this great experiment that has lasted for two whole decades now. Tell us how you first got on board with this little alternative weekly paper that's grown into a legitimate local cultural institution here in Lansing. Well, back in around 2000, I was uh, working at a record store, a local record store, uh, named where uh, it's called Warehouse Records, and um, that store, like all the other ones, uh, was going under. And um, around that same time, Burl Schwartz was starting City Pulse, and um, I had uh, published a, a newsletter from the store. Actually, it was one of the last freestanding classical music stores, a little sub-store that we had for a while. And we had a little cute little newsletter that I wrote with reviews of recordings, and I actually drew cartoons for it and stuff. And it was pretty fun. And I guess word about that got around because uh, somehow or other, someone from City Pulse thought I might be good to do classical music uh, reviews, symphony reviews. So that's what I was brought on board for at first, the review and preview the Lansing Symphony Concerts. Now, you've done everything from music reviews, features, profiles on artists, um, reporting on the Lansing Symphony Orchestra, and local jazz musicians, Broadway plays, but you've also done really hard, in-depth political journalism. How did you evolve into handling both of those equally vital but incredibly diverse responsibilities as a writer? Well, it was just one little step at a time. It's it's the way, maybe, like when you get lost uh, in the woods, at first you think you know where you are, and then you sort of know, and then you don't know, and then you're totally gone. And, I mean, uh, in my case, I did for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, I stuck to the symphony, but along came an opportunity to write a cover story about the Lansing River Trail and the history of the Lansing River Trail. And uh, I go on the river trail a lot, I still do, so I jumped at that. I thought it would be fun. So I did two stories, actually. One was the history showing how the Lansing River Trail came together while going all the way back to the 70s, and then the other was a personal uh, appreciation of the trail from my own personal standpoint of things I had seen. And I really enjoyed writing those stories. I enjoyed it a lot, and that overcame my fear of getting out of my expertise or being in over my head. I just found I really enjoyed writing. And then then there was a story, I think I remember a story about the library, appreciating the library and some of the services downtown, and that got me started on interviewing people, librarians and people like that, and I found it was fun to meet the interesting people around town, and uh, it just, <laughs> one thing just led to another, then I was previewing Wharton Center events and talking with really famous people before I knew it, uh, you know, people like 
the jazz musician Dave Brubeck and uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. And um, I mean, I was just in the right place at the right time, and I really enjoyed writing about all these things. And uh, you know, it, it kept going like. Uh, um, the arts led to architecture. There wasn't really anybody writing in an appreciative way about historic architecture. And I, I found that to be really, really fascinating. Um, and it was a great time for, to be uh, to be in my shoes because I had a front row seat to some fabulous architectural restoration, some truly spectacular projects like the Ottawa Power Station uh, renovation, um, the Naps building. Uh, so... You know, and and I had the space to really tackle these things in depth. We did an entire section, I think, of ten thousand words on the Ottawa station when it opened, on the history of the building, and uh, then you know, profiling people is something I love to do too. Um, I, there seems to be a, I don't know, a beat I have. Uh, Bro calls it the old lady beat that. Uh, <laughs> Where I write about older people and and you know appreciate their lives, whether they're business people or, or people in the arts and so forth. And uh, uh, I just found out, Skyler, that really everything is interesting if you dig deep, deep enough. Everything is, um, and that that's like the main lesson I've learned from this job is that you know I've written about ants and uh, um, worms and I mean I, I, almost everything, and everything is interesting. It's uh, it's just a matter of paying attention to it. Print media, since the turn of the century, has been going through a never-ending uphill battle as it competes with digital. I can only imagine how hard it was to be an upstart paper without any major corporate funding or backing. Can you talk about what it was like working as a writer-reporter in those early City Pulse days as the paper really tried to find its place here in Lansing? Well, in the early years, the paper was trying to find a niche, and the usual niche most so-called alternative weeklies filled was that of the, you know, the the pretty far left, progressive, bordering on, uh, I don't know, almost radical politics, uh, with with some outrageous content. Um, you know, we could use profanity. Um, we could do critical things. Um, I mean, we could do really. I mean, in addition to the investigative reporting and the highly critical, highly uh, um, anti, um, uh, not anti-institutional, but but the reporting we did that was trying to tackle some big, uh, big um, entities like the Board of Water and Light or the city government um, or big corporations that were polluting and so forth. But also, you know, there was another side to it where we did. In the humanities and just in features, we could do stuff like, for example, I did a story that still might be my favorite story ever, and some other people have said it's theirs. It was all almost from the second or third year. It was called I Took a Jew to Frankenmuth, and we just always had to cudgel our brains for a Christmas story, and I just decided to take my Jewish friend to Frankenmuth and just trash on, uh, you know, Bronner's Christmas decorations for 2,500 two, 2, words, and... Uh, I mean, stuff like that. So it was much more, I think it was more of a a brick-throwing publication for quite a while. And then, lo and behold, as the years went on, we've, we found out that there were a lot of other holes that weren't being filled by the daily paper, the Lansing State Journal. And even when the corporate entity that owned the Lansing State Journal, Gannett, even when they tried to launch a weekly publication that competed with ours called Noise, 
that which we call a faux alternative weekly, um, neither publication filled the niches that we wanted to fill. And that included just writing thoughtfully and with a voice about whether it's the arts or politics or anything else, instead of uh, resorting to this kind of corporate, bland corporate um, language that uh, put people to sleep. So, I mean, that was part of it stylistically, subject matter. And then we found out, lo and behold, that the other paper hardly paid any attention to classical music and jazz, which are usually things you would not associate with an alternative weekly. But, you know, in, in the 2000s, it, it became alternative or alt-weekly to pay attention to things that were pretty serious and required a certain attention span to uh, to think about. So, I mean, there were, and there was just a lot of different, it became this really interesting mix of, like, our demographics skewed old for a long time. Older people, people who were used to sitting down and reading longer stories in the New Yorker, maybe, or the Atlantic, are the ones who uh, gravitated more to the city pulse. And uh, to this day, it's still a really interesting mix of older people, older boomers, and younger people, um, uh, you know, young people who who want to follow music and culture and um, events that, that are more of interest to younger people. But it is just, it turned into a very different mix from, from the way it started out. Like I said, it started out just kind of more or less throwing rocks, uh, um, and, and that was needed. Um, but it got to be much, much more than that over the years. Your writing style is well-known and appreciated for its extremely poetic tone. No matter how supposedly dry or dull the subject may be, um, you inject a whole lot of style into your reporting. And I was just wondering, where does that come from? What were your influences or inspiration? I wish I knew, Skylar. I I really don't know. Um, When I was a kid, I read a lot of comic books, and I think if... if, um, if there's one person who influenced my writing more than anyone, it would be probably be Stan Lee, the guy who wrote all the Marvel comics um, back in the 60s. His hyperbolic, you know, he used to use all these dynamic words and hyperbolic expressions, and he wasn't afraid to throw Shakespeare in and all this stuff. And that, I think that really imprinted on me. Um, but you know what, though? I, every once in a while I go back and look back at stuff I wrote 15, 20 years ago, and... It's changed a lot. Uh, it used to be a lot more show-offy. I think I was more, like most younger people, I was more interested in showing off what I could do. Like, I couldn't just say the guy walked across the room. It had to be some flowery thing about, you know, how he walked across the room. So if, if I've learned anything over the years is to try to moderate that and just get that guy across the room. And if there's something poetic about it, great, or something, you know, something that uh, would might make it pop and might might make people keep reading. Uh, but I don't know, to... to bring it to a a formula or, or a rule. I don't know. I guess the only thing I could think of is that I, I want to, I, I try to write stuff I myself would keep reading, that I would read. Because there's so much stuff out there, as you well know, that's just boring. It's a press release. It's, you know, it's, and I get it. People are, journalists are overworked and they have to come up with stuff all the time and it's hard, you know, but uh, I, I, you know, I try to at least throw in something it's just a little something extra that would make me keep going if I were reading it. And, and I do. Like, if somebody, I go back and read my own stuff, and, then, you know, uh, if I'm not agonizing over some something I left out or messed up, um, I do find that a lot of it I do enjoy, which is nice. Except for the, the really early stuff was way too fancy. Way, way, but I guess I had to get out of my system. Now, in the 20 years that City Pulse has been around, 
Um, it's branched out to be really plugged into both the cultural world and the political world of Lansing. You know, from your perspective, can you talk about how important it is to have an independent media source like City Pulse to tackle these issues and how it really came to be a consistently relevant and important paper here in Lansing? Well, I, the best way to sum it up for me would be like, even, and of course, I'm, I work for City Pulse, so, you know, I'm kind of prejudiced, but I look at that street corner and I see, ah, the latest City Pulse is out. And that's that's like the thud of the paper on your doorstep, which, you know, used to be, I guess, back in the old days. That feeling of civilization, that feeling of another day, the sun came up on another day, and my my town, my community is still, the heart is still beating on my community. Um and and you don't appreciate it until it goes away, until a big, you know, until a big company like Gannett, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to criticize the Lansing State Journal because they do the best they can and every every journalist uh, journalistic enterprise is so constrained and so pressured. Right. But you can tell, though, I mean, you can tell it's corporate. You can see the wire service stories. You can see the reviews that come from somebody from, you know, Akron, Ohio or whatever, and it's syndicated for, to all the Gannett papers. And there's, you know, there still is that handful of reporters that are local. But even they, they seem to have to um, subordinate their voice and their attention to what is, uh, you know, what is officially, um, what's the word, uh, you know, it's, there's sort of a party line they have to follow, and and this opportunity for us to, you know, while still, of course, adhering to very very high standards of, of you know, journalistic standards of being accurate, and being fair, um, also as opportunity to have a voice that is local, that is of this community. Uh, I mean, even if I weren't, I like to think that even if I had zero involvement with City Pulse, I would still look at that rack or that street corner. Uh, rack of you know with the latest cover and think to myself ah okay it's Wednesday uh, life is still um, you know worth living uh, we have a community um, uh, you know local voices are you know are are being heard um, you know sometimes it's, it's a mess but um, it's our mess you know it's not somebody else's mess and and uh, you know I, I mean that that's so valuable. You, you know, people won't realize how valuable it is until and unless they lose it. Well, Larry, I really wanted to thank you for talking with me here on City Pulse on the air. I understand that you're really busy working on the forthcoming anniversary issue that's going to be on stands next week that will get into sort of the things that we discussed, but much more in depth. Thanks for talking with us. Wow, thanks. It was my pleasure, Skylar. It's a great occasion and a great achievement for everybody involved. Thank you very much, Larry. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. You can learn so much more about the history of City Pulse and a lot about Lansing in general in the past 20 years in our upcoming anniversary issue. That hits the stands on Wednesday and the internet at LansingCityPulse.com on Thursday. Now we're going to turn to reporter Cole Tunningly and learn about how horse exhibitions are organized locally here at the Am County Fair. Taylor Fabus has spent her entire life surrounded by horses, on farms, at shows, comforting them in their stables, or taking them for long rides in the country. She's fallen in love with the creatures and built a whole life and career around them. 
They've basically been by her side since the moment she gained consciousness. Oh, goodness. Um, I have worked with horses my entire life. So my parents actually met through showing horses. Um, so it is steeped in my veins for certain. Um, I also have a bachelor's and master's in animal science at MSU, and I work there as an educator, um, all about horse-related activities. Um, I also own a horse farm in Ovid, Michigan, as well as what I believe we're chatting about today is um, I do run some horse shows as well, including one in Ingham County in September. The show she's referencing is the 2021 Fall Frenzy Open Horse Competition, which will be held from September 17th to the 19th later this year. It's a competitive event centered around exhibitors and their horses. It will be judged by world-class judges with a keen eye for detail all locked in battle to win both prizes and glory. Fabus started a company called Horse Shows Are Us with a friend who also loves all things equestrian. The pair thought that, with their combined experience, they could craft a unique horse show that honors both the animals and those who train them. So um, I have been involved in shows in a number of capacities, but this particular event uh, began in 2016. A friend of, uh, a friend of mine um, and I have been on many different sides of the horse show world, whether horse trainers or horse show exhibitors, um, horse show managers, just spectators. Um, and we kind of just got to chatting about that we thought we could do it. We could do it and we could probably um, improve the quality of some areas that, that we wanted to see improvements in. And so that's why we created Horse Shows R Us, which is our horse show management company that runs um, the Fall Frenzy Open Horse Show. Um, which is in September of each year. I think we're going on our fifth annual. It would have been sixth annual, but everyone knows 2020 was a time warp, right? <laughs> so um, we just try to run a really exhibitor-centered horse show that is fun and friendly, but still being really high quality. Um, and I think that we have successfully done that for a few years now. Okay. So what can people expect to see at the show? So people can expect over two and a half days at the beautiful Ingham County Fairgrounds. They have an indoor arena um, right in Mason, Michigan. Um, so whether rain or shine, the horse show will be going on. Um, everything from in-hand classes where people lead the horses around and exhibit them to judges, all the way up to speed classes where they're timed events and exhibitors will be running for prizes. So it's a busy day, uh, half of Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Um, people will be showing their horses. Not everyone has the ability to get up close and personal with a horse, unless you grew up in a rural area or had the money to take horseback riding lessons. You may be completely unfamiliar with their personalities, their quirks, and their beauty. Fabus believes that Michigan is a state with a wide and vast community of horse lovers. Our state's innate natural beauty and ample undeveloped land led to Michigan being considered one of the best states in the Midwest for those who have a passion for horses. Yeah, so actually Michigan is extremely um, thriving in the horse community uh, in a variety of different sectors of the horse industry as well, but certainly the horse show industry. Um, it's really, really strong on any given weekend in through April through October. You can find several really large shows going on um, within an hour's drive of Lansing, Michigan. Um, so mid-Michigan is 
is the hub of a lot of different facilities that host horse shows. And so as an exhibitor, um, you have a lot of different opportunities. There's a lot of competition, which only makes um, horse shows try harder to be um, even better uh, for exhibitors. But yeah, there's a ton of opportunity, really, really strong in numbers as well as quality in Michigan. Um, and I would say that's true comparing us to even other states in the Midwest and beyond. I didn't know that. But I do know that when I was a kid, I would frequently see neighbors trotting along my dirt road on horseback. One time, one even wandered into my yard without a rider. If you take a long drive through any stretch of Michigan countryside, you're bound to see a few milling about. It makes perfect sense that the state has a large share of horse devotees. It's a fine place for an extravagant horse show. And Fabus herself does much more than just run shows. She's had a long career as an exhibitor that she's planning to pass on to the next generation, her two daughters. Yeah, so I have been showing horses since I was young, so just a few years, but um, I've been showing my whole life, and um, now my daughters both show, and we compete pretty much almost every weekend throughout the spring and summer across Michigan. Um, we stay pretty darn busy going to different horse shows, and sometimes we pop out of state as well, but uh, for where we're at right now in our competition level, we stay pretty close to mid-Michigan. For some, it may be hard to understand the appeal of horses. The smell alone is enough to drive some people away. Since the dawn of the automobile and the rise of industrialized agriculture, the animal has taken a back seat in the public imagination. I wanted to know why Fabus built an entire career around them. It's a dream that she has fully realized, and one has to wonder what drove her to make it come true. You know, that's an excellent question. I ask myself that on the daily um, because it is an all-consuming sport to be involved in. Um, if any horse people are listening right now, they know exactly what I mean. Um, it is not just a phase. So a lot of parents are hopeful that their young sons or daughters will outgrow the horse phase and it just doesn't really happen. So once you get bitten by the horse bug, um, it kind of sticks with you your whole life. Now your involvement may change. I definitely have had different phases of involvement throughout my life, took a break over college, for example. Um, but I just really love, um, for my daughters, for example, that it is an opportunity to really show them if you put in the work, you see a result. Um, I also hope to, um, not only parent, but also coach youth that are coachable and horse shows um, provide a really great opportunity to learn how to be coachable, learn how to handle stress, um, learn how to handle failure with grace. And I think those high pressure, pressure situations um, are really, really important to personal growth and development of young people. Davis encourages both newcomers to the community and devoted diehards to come out to the show. She, the horses, and the competitors have put their blood, sweat, and tears into making sure that it doesn't disappoint. It sounds like a nice way to spend some of the last days of the summer season, just when the air is starting to chill. I would like your listeners to know that this event for spectators is free of charge, so they're welcome to come on out, see what the horse industry is all about, at least the horse show industry. Um, feel free to ask people questions, come to the show office and ask for Heather or Taylor if you have questions. We are the gals running the horse show. Um, but you'll find that people are pretty darn friendly. So if you are new to the horse community and you have questions, you can just ask anyone standing along 
the rail. Um, but I would encourage you to come on out and watch and just get a taste of what has drawn us into the horse industry for life. I would like to see it. I've never been to a horse show. Come, yeah, it's yeah. it's fun. I mean, I'll be honest. Unless uh, there are parts of it that are a little boring to watch if you don't know what you're watching. So don't get too discouraged. To find out more information, you can look up the 2021 Fall Frenzy Open Horse Show on Facebook. Or you can visit the Horse Shows Are Us Facebook page. For City Pulse, I'm Cole Tenningly. And that about does it for us here at City Pulse on the Air on 88.9 FM The Impact. I'm arts editor Skylar Ashley, and once again, I will turn things over to music writer Rich Topeka to play us out with some great, rare Michigan music. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. Thank you very much for listening, and here's Rich. All right, here we are, and today I'm playing a track from Matthew Milia. It's a solo track because uh, Matthew typically spends a lot of his uh, recording time with his group, Frontier Ruckus. However, in 2019, he cut his debut solo album, and it's called Alone at St. Hugo. It's a bit different from the Frontier Ruckus stuff. It further explores his love of pop music and power pop. Uh, think big star that sort of a thing so it's a really really terrific debut solo record and for those who watch frontier ruckus uh, come of age uh, 10 10 years or so ago in the lansing area it's uh, really cool to see the progression that matthew has made and as always his lyrics are really poetic and it's just a, a really stunning solo record so This song is the single off of it. It's called Congratulations, Honey. It was released in uh, 2019, so it it got lost in the shuffle like a lot of great records did because of the whole COVID thing. So I'm digging back to 2019 to play the solo track Congratulations, Honey from Matthew Milia of Frontier Ruckus. Check it out. Congratulations, Honey. Once again that time of year Your dad's disability money Seemed to make the bad things disappear But it's even cold when it's sunny It's even cold when you're near me I tried too hard to be funny I tried too hard for you to hear me When the family storage unit closes forever And you'll never hear the motorized ornaments again some white trash towns where the solace drowns whenever The muffler putters away like a birthday balloon Losing wind oh. I lost your name in the Down at the bottom 
do to stall you Cause there's 30 years of back to school tears in your eyes With the cleaning supplies that smell like coming home And the leaves that scrape in their escape it implies A familiar voice that's growing other end of the telephone When the family storage unit closes forever And you'll never hear the motorized ornaments again In some white trash towns where the solace drowns Whenever the muffler putters away like a birthday balloon Some house I knew in college Thinking about some girl I knew in sixth grade Thinking about the taste of her apology And the smell of the coffee that my dad made Congratulations, honey Once again that time